0: olympics podcast coming to you today for another athlete interview and a very special chat today we're going back to the paralympics a event we haven't really done a lot of interviews from and as you'll hear me say in my introduction with my guest today i'm a little bit ashamed of that i feel we definitely need to cover more paralympians on this show and hopefully we can rectify that particularly in the lead up to paris 2024 but such a fascinating chat with you today we are speaking with a new francis who is a para triathlete but she's far more than a para triathlete she was on the cusp of making the tokyo paralympics in the sport of para rowing so close mere seconds she missed out on that and before that she could have been in a paralympian in para badminton basically she is a jack of all trades She has had an esteemed career in a variety of different sports. But uh, a very interesting chat learning about just all the setbacks and everything that comes with her condition, misdiagnosis and everything along those lines, that she really wasn't even aware of her condition until she was in her early 20s. Sort of being an athlete at a younger age, she thought it was just down to some common ailments that she just thought was down to being a bit clumsy and a bit everything along these lines. But then when she was eventually diagnosed, it enabled her to get back into an athletic career, which has spurred her on towards, hopefully, qualifying for the Paris Paralympics. And since switching to paratriathlon, and when I say switching, literally in the last couple of years has Anu done this. She's gone on to great success, including silver medals at world championships, recently won the Paris Test event, which, as you probably can imagine, is a pretty big deal in the lead up to a Paralympics and is currently well and truly ranked in the top 10 world number three at the time of recording this interview, which we did at the end of 2023. This is a fascinating chat with Anu. She opens up about all, every aspect of her career and what she hopes to achieve coming into the Paris Paralympics in the hope that she will qualify and be a very genuine chance of winning a medal at the Paralympics. It's a great chat. You're going to get a lot out of it. Sit back and relax and listen to our chat with Australian paratriathlete Anu Francis. It's been quite some time since we've really covered the Paralympics on this show and had a para-athlete on this podcast. And I actually am quite ashamed that it has been taken quite some time because we obviously love talking all aspects of everything to do with Olympics and Paralympics. And today we're we're rectifying that well because I have such an amazing guest on the program to learn about her journey, not just in one sport, but multiple sports because she has had an incredible journey across a variety of sports. Started off in badminton, somehow found her way to rowing, and now is on the cusp of making her first Paralympics in the sport of paratriathlon. So it kind of makes sense that maybe she is doing a sport where there are multiple disciplines because there's obviously a lot of sports that she has been interested in across her career. And this amazing transition into paratriathlon has seen her go into to great success, taking out a silver medal at the World Championships in 2023, as well as winning the Paris Paralympic Test event. And I'm so excited to learn everything about her and her journey to this very big point that we are about to see heading into an Olympic year. It is a pleasure to welcome to Off the Podium Anu, Francis. Anu. First of all, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on the program today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here.
0: I, I am so intrigued about your journey, how you can get from badminton to paratriathlon. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a, a a difference, but you just seem to be such a, a sporty person. This seems to be such a part of your life that you've always been into sport because they're not even the only three that you've been involved in, are they? I know you, you've been involved in pretty much every single sport, I think, in existence in your life.
1: <laughs> well, I think there's still a few, few left on the list that I need to tick off. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I guess it's it's not the most, um, I guess, linear sort of progression that I've had in terms of um, sports. Obviously, there's not a lot of, um, of common ground between badminton and triathlon. Um, but essentially, like growing up, I was – um, pretty sporty. I running was actually my thing as a kid. I kind of jumped between sprinting and um, long distance depending on sort of the the season and the year and what I was feeling. Um, really, really liked it. Um, but then around 11 I started finding that my um my kneecaps, so my patella started um, subluxing. Um, and eventually went on to actually dislocating and you could quite visibly see that it wasn't where it was meant to be. Um, so I would be doing cross country and I have to distinct memories of maybe year five or six and running along and my, you know, kneecap would be sitting, not where it was meant to be. And I'd kind of just casually bend over mid race, knock it back and keep going. And I thought that was normal. I just thought that wow. everyone was doing that. Geez. Um, <laughs> wow. <that's> not normal. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> Um, And pretty much with that, it just started deteriorating. I was having more um, dislocations Became to be my my ankles and um, wrists and every other sort of joint you can imagine. Um, And so I began to just get less and less competitive um, with my kind of peers of my own age. And I just thought that I was a bit um, uncoordinated, even though I was pretty good when I was a bit younger. But yeah, sort of from the age of like, 11 to 13, I had a pretty big decline. And yeah, just thought, oh, I'm just clumsy. Like maybe I'm not meant to be doing much sport anymore. So I kind of peeled it back a bit. Um and then a friend actually got me into Badminton in year five, just recreationally. She was going after school and I was going around to her house. So she was like, Oh, come round. Um, have we got badminton? And um, it was something I was just naturally um pretty good at um which was which was pretty lucky so i sort of kept that going right through to the end of year 12. um not really training seriously but would just do you know the sort of into school competitions and yeah did pretty well for the amount of training i was doing um then i went into veterinary medicine um which was pretty full time didn't have a lot of time for sports so i kept at our, we had a gym on campus out at the Roseworthy campus, so kept pretty fit there, did some um, boxing, did their running club there, and um, yeah, kind of kept my fitness up, but took a bit of a, a backseat, um, and it wasn't until my second year that I finally got diagnosed with my first condition, which was Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which is a degenerative connective tissue disorder, um, which explains all of the dislocations, it's quite common yeah. for that to start around puberty um, and sort of progressively get worse um, through your kind of adolescence. Um, So that explained that. Um, And unfortunately because of that diagnosis, I um, was told that I wouldn't get registered as a vet because they um, generally don't register anyone with any physical or mental impairments, um, which is, In in my opinion, it's discrimination, um, but it was inherent requirements. Um, And so even though I was, yeah, one of the top students and was getting great feedback on my placements, um, I finished my undergrad, but um, didn't go into my postgrad because it was just going to be another three years of study after already doing three. um, Most likely I was told by the rego board I wouldn't get registered, so I wouldn't actually be able to practice. So um, at that point, that's when I actually went and looked back into sport because I thought, oh, well, if I'm too disabled to um be able to be a vet am i you know disabled enough um, i mean quotations to to do para sport because i sort of just thought who do i know of disabilities and really the only positive role models that i could think of um in society with disabilities were paralympians and para athletes um and so yeah long story short i had a look at what um sports are available and i found um a para badminton group in sa um yeah went and joined that and got classified and managed to um yeah, managed to work my way up and in my second year I medaled twice for um, Australia at the Oceania Champs um, and through that, realized I actually had a neurological condition as well. And that's what actually made me um, eligible for parasport because Ehlers-Danlos is actually not an eligible impairment. Um, and that took a, a lot of misdiagnosis. But through sport, we actually found out that it was a one-in-a-million condition called dopa responsive dystonia. Um, so quite similar to Parkinson's. I take Parkinson's medication, um, causes like really tight muscles and involuntary muscle movements and um, some sort of, um, yeah, restricted movement and um muscle power um in all four of my limbs but primarily my legs and my left left hand um so yeah through that kind of um ended up wanting to take sport more seriously got um, identified for para rowing learned to row from scratch and at the end of 2018 um narrowly missed out on tokyo because the um classification criteria is um quite loose in um in rowing, and there's only actually three classifications, so everyone that uses their legs are together, regardless of whether they have, um, at a national level, an intellectual impairment or um, if they are uh, have, I think, three fingers or three toes is like the minimum impairment. But we had people with, like, a wrist fusion um, a single single leg like amputee was like one of the more um, impaired and then there was me in the international classifier said I was the most impaired um one on the international circuit so I was so close to the other girls but I just missed out by a few seconds um which was disappointing um but luckily enough I um yeah got talent identified by um triathlon um through triathlon Australia now triathlon um and yeah kind of got into into that three years ago and the rest is
0: history really what what i mean so much to unpack there i've got so (laughs) many questions like you've done my job very well for me right now by uh, (laughs) answering a lot of questions i had but i just want to backtrack just to that initial the dislocating of the knees and everything you're saying with the running and and that obviously at the time you just thought that was normal and clumsy to ultimately getting diagnosed (laughs) were there any ever tests at the young age or was it literally, as you said, like, I just thought this was normal. So we don't need to check into this. Cause I can imagine your your parents and your family are probably thinking, well, Hey, no, I knew this isn't normal. We should probably look into this.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, there was a lot. So I think pretty much from, yeah, like I said, the age of 11, um, we just started realizing things weren't quite right. And especially, you know, one day I woke up and my ankle was dislocated, um, and was really, really bruised and swollen. Um, and normally I was able to, with my kneecaps, so I could generally kind of fix it myself. But this ankle was so bad that I couldn't, I didn't know how to start it, kind of fixing it. Um, so we went up to the hospital, got an x-rayed and everything. They um, fixed it up and said, oh, how did this happen? And I said, oh, I just woke up and it was like that. And they went, no, like seriously, what have you done? And I went, No, seriously, I woke up like that. Wow. Um, didn't do anything. Um, and that kind of kept happening. It was just that oh, what have you done this time? And I was like, I was I was walking or, yeah, I woke up or, um, yeah, I was just like sitting on the couch, um, all of that sort of stuff. And um, they actually ended up, um, yeah, questioning whether um, I just lived with my mum, whether I was being um, abused at home um, and whether, yeah, this was being inflicted on me, um, which is really, really common with people with ehlers down loss, um, especially it was it's getting a lot more, it's not even considered rare anymore. When I was diagnosed, it was one in 5,000, but now it's, um, about one in 2,500, but it's still very underdiagnosed. So it's really actually quite common. Um, but it was very not understood. And that's why my diagnosis took so long because we went to, I swear, every specialist under the sun when I was growing up, um, things like I couldn't sit on the floor, my whole childhood, like all through primary school, it was sitting on the floor was so painful. And again, I just thought that that everyone had that and that they were just, I was just weak and I wasn't as well as good at coping with the pain as all of them. And um, until we realized that actually my pelvis had been um, out of alignment, probably my whole childhood. Um, And that's why I'd been in so much pain that time. And I think now that I've got the right specialists on board and people that, you know, amazing physios and exercise physiologists and neurologists who know how to manage those conditions. It's so frustrating that my whole childhood, I just lived in so much um, like I said, I have pain all the time, but in so much less pain um, than that I did back then. And we've been able to stabilize my joints to have less dislocations. And um, it could have been so much better if I could have actually got diagnosed at a younger age. But unfortunately, there was just a lot of um, sort of ignorance, I think, from doctors and um, a lot of egos going around sort of saying, well, we don't know what this is. So therefore, you must be making it up. They always told mom I was a hypochondriac to the point where I think eventually she ended up believing that because my scans would all come back you know, normal and there was not really they said it was growing pains and oh she'll grow out of it. And then yeah, when I when I didn't, it wasn't actually until I was at college and um my one of my the girl in the room next to me was one of my best mates, her mum was a nurse and had a friend long story um who whose son got diagnosed in over in sydney where the there's a few more kind of geneticists over there that know about eds and um she was talking to my friend's mom about it and my friend's mom went it sounds so much like i knew um and sent my friend in with a web page about it from the yearless downlaw society and um and i just read through it and went this is a page about me like mm. it, it, all the symptoms like the age of onset was right um all about the you know going to hospital and kids actually being taken off their parents um, because they think they're being abused and they don't, they don't believe the child saying that they just woke up like that. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was incredible. So I went to the geneticist three months later and um, he went, yeah, that is the most obvious diagnosis ever. How is this? How, have, and I was 21. He was like, how have you gone wow. 10 years with symptoms of not being diagnosed? Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's one of, they, I think it's been quoted as one of the most um common and overlooked um, disorders in medical history. That's
0: crazy. And I mean, it must have been such a relief to finally, after all that time, have it, I guess, confirmed, diagnosed, and then that Mm. treatment and and everything that I'm sure kind of came from that, you were able to
1: finally do. It It was huge. Like I think you go through different stages of diagnosis, and every time I've got a new one, it's kind of you go through grief and that sort of stuff and thinking about the future. But I think with that diagnosis, it was just an overwhelming sense of relief and just validation that, oh, I'm not, I literally thought I was a hypochondriac and I was crazy and, um, all this sort of stuff. Cause that's what i had been told by, you know, every doctor I'd, I'd seen, um, until finally I just, yeah, got that diagnosis and found a community of people that had been through, you know, very similar, similar things to me. And I think it really just made me want to um, share my story and get it out there to try and hopefully help other people get diagnosed earlier. And um, yeah, just get the awareness out there with the medical profession, not to, not to overlook, not to overlook the conditions just because they might be a bit rarer or a bit of stigma around them.
0: When it came to that talent identification, when you decided to pursue this sporting career, is that a case of, do you contact the AIS? Like, I mean, kind of like how, how does that work? And cause I know we've had a lot of say winter athletes on this show who, will get talent identified for certain winter sports. Is, is it a similar thing for para athletes to kind of, you know, put you through a variety of tests and then you get a letter in the mail going, Hey, rowing, Hey, triathlon.
1: <laughs> That'd be really cool. Um, <laughs> the way that I actually found rowing was very random. Um, Cause I love badminton potentially could have made the Tokyo Paralympics, but there was, there was no funding available at all. Um, and so it was fully self-funded and I just couldn't, being from like a, you know, um, single income, like um, low, yeah, low income um, family, just with my mum and I, I couldn't afford to get to all the international tournaments to qualify. Um, and I just wanted to take sport more seriously than training, you know, the sort of two times a week that we were offered. Um, and so I took upon myself to start, I went to the local gym, like, I ended up doing 10, you know, just class group classes every week. And that kind of really built my foundation. And then I was just on Instagram one day and found a, um, power rowing talent search day down at um, West lakes where we row. Um, and I would, just signed up for it. Went along, didn't know if I'd be eligible or if I'd be any good. I'd never rowed before. Um, but yeah, I, I went along and I was specifically looking for females to fill the um, the boat because like a mixed, a mixed floor was the Tokyo boat and they had a couple of um, boys, Will and Jed. So they were just looking for um, a couple of females to sort of fill up that, that boat. And so, yeah, went along and um, I think my, fitness that I'd got from going to the gym um, had kind of paid off. And they identified that while I wasn't yet the strongest person in the world, um, I had the kind of the fitness, the base there. And so, yeah, they were willing to um, to give me a shot. So I went on training agreement with the South Australian Sports Institute and yeah, trained with them for a couple of years, became the first um, female para-athlete to ever row for South Australia. So we had a full state team for the first time in history, which was um, yeah, pretty, pretty special and, um, yeah, set some world records on the indoor rowing machine over COVID. Um, wow! Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, and then when I kind of saw that that just wasn't um, wasn't quite going my way with the um, classification just always being sort of disadvantaged and knew I'd push my body to the the point where I was just getting constantly injured trying to trying to get there and I wanted it so badly um I started looking at other sports and um my coach at the time was really supportive of that and um sort of knew that my goal was the Paralympics and if that wasn't going to happen with rowing then she was um amazing and really supportive in me exploring other options um so I had a look at um had a look at the list again, went back to the list that I'd found when I decided to go with Badminton originally, um, reconsulted that. And I taught myself to, um, to cycle during COVID when we couldn't get out in the water because everyone, all the rowers were out cross training on the bike. So bought myself this crappy $300 bike off Gumtree and taught myself to ride and realized I quite enjoyed it. Um, got in contact with Cycling Australia and they put me in touch with, um, with a coach, para coach who was doing some um stuff at the Velodrome, so track cycling, went along and did that. And he was like, Yeah, you could definitely be, you know, pretty good at this, um, which was cool. So did that for a little bit. Also reached out to Triathlon. I could obviously run. I could now ride a bike, but I would not swim. So I was very upfront with them and just sort of um that was um, yeah, Carla, the head of our program. And I just said, look, dude, like I'm willing to try. Like my goals are pretty lofty, but I Cannot swim. Um, what, does he, what does he say to that?
0: Like, like, we'll choose a different sport. Like, this might not be for you. He or... was,
1: that's what I thought he was going to say. No, he was amazingly positive and said, "You know, oh, you know, you can't learn to swim overnight, but um, it, it could happen." And he he's pretty amazing at um in terms of profiling people up. He'd found a bunch of background information off me. I don't know how he got all this information, but um, he was very clued up on sort of my sport history and, um and sort of what my goals were. And we just had some really open chats and he was, he was so honest with me and sort of said, look, this could go absolutely nowhere. Um, we can't give you really any financial support and, you know, it's probably going to be a couple of years of you having to completely support yourself and you're going to have to be in the pool like every day trying to learn how to swim from scratch. It's not going to come easy. Um. But he said, you know, if you're willing to put in the work, then you know we're willing to um to kind of give you a go. And he just sort of said, like, I I think you you know have the potential to um to kind of reach your goals in this sport. Um, so I kind of had to make that decision between the two. And yeah, I went into SASE one day, and they kind of made the call that um they weren't going to renew my contract for the for the next year. And so I. It was kind of like pretty devastated, but I think it was what I needed because I was never, I was so invested in rowing and I loved it so much. I loved my club and all of the athletes I was rowing with that. I don't think I would have left of my own accord. So I think it was really them kind of, you know, snapping that, that band that sort of um, made me go right. Well, I'm, you know, there's no point in me staying here because my goal is the Paralympics. So if that's not going to happen here, then I've got these amazing other, other doors, you know, that classic one door closes and another, another opens. I was lucky that I had two doors that sort of opened up. Um, and yeah, ultimately that day went to to gym and my coach up at the, um, Flinders uni gym where I was in the athlete development program. Um, Chris, he'd be my coach for a few years since I was with badminton all through rowing, um, doing my yeah, SNC program up there. And, Um, he said, oh, well, you know, actually I did get a bit of a phone call from triathlon Australia asking, um, asking if I'd be willing to take you on. Um, I didn't even realize, but he was an ex, um, triathlete and runs a triathlon squad, um, which I actually know about. And I don't know how they knew about that, (laughs) but, um, the magic of networking, um, so yeah, um apparently they'd reached out to him and said, Oh, if, if he does want to transfer, would you um be willing to coach her? And he said, Absolutely. Um so we had a good chat and I was like, right, yep, yeah, let's let's give it a go. Um so the next day we rocked up to the to the pool and um he said, Cool, just show me twenty-five meters of um of freestyle showing what you've got. And I just looked at him blankly and said, Nope, no. I'm serious. <laughs> I can't swim 25 meters. And he went, Oh yep, yeah, okay. We are starting from scratch. And I was like, <laughs> I did warn everyone, I was quite transparent. <laughs> and so um he's done an amazing job though. Um it was definitely felt like drowning for the first few weeks and I look back at the videos that I excitedly sent Kyle going, Look, I got to the other side of the 25 meter pool and he was like, Yeah, keep drawing, mate. Um, wow. You're dragging along the bottom of the floor. Um but um yeah, three years later I'm um yeah, like a pretty Confidence swimmer is still a long way to go, but um, we well, always sort of said it was going to be three years before I was looking like a swimmer. And now I'm finally at the point where people look at me and I don't look like I've already been swimming for three years, <laughs> which is pretty cool. I'm very lucky to have had such a such an amazing and patient coach. <laughs>
0: which Which I love just that story because it goes from right back to rowing of you didn't know how to row, but you did it and there you are. And then you didn't know how to swim and now you're doing triathlon. Like it's just such an incredible journey and, and going through so much adversity to get to where you are and there always seems to be a challenge going on there but i mean it's just it's incredible that you've overcome it did, did you sort of when you were back when you were running and everything you talk about that dream of the paralympics has that something that's been with you ever since you were younger that sort of an olympics a paralympics sort of back when you were sort of younger competing in sport before diagnoses and all those sort of things had been come
1: yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think with the Paralympics, it didn't just because I wasn't diagnosed until I was twenty one, and so I never, um, I never viewed myself as obviously having a disability because I thought I was just crazy. Um, and so, which I think is also like really that's quite upsetting because I think I look now at the amazing opportunities for for kids with disabilities, um, and you know the amazing opportunities they get, especially through sport and. I go, oh, like I wish I wish I'd known back then that maybe um, and maybe I wouldn't have been eligible because the EDS obviously um, isn't classifiable, but maybe I could have just met other kids that had you know, similar experiences to me um, or maybe my neurological condition would have been picked up a bit earlier back then as well. Um, so I think, yeah, it's 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 an interesting one because I um, I don't think I ever thought I'd be an Olympian. Um, I think probably because I, you know, my athletic ability was hindered so early. Mm. Um and so I think I always, I always love sport and I always probably, yeah, sort of thought, oh, I'd love to just be a really fast runner. Um, and I remember in primary school, um, in like early primary school, we'd, we marked out um, for maths, we marked out a one kilometer running track and every week we'd, We'd go and run it and we'd, um, you know, have our group of friends and we'd track their time and graph it. It was a very, very clever exercise. Um, but I remember doing that and I'd always be by far the fastest girl in the class and um, that's probably when I realised, oh, I've got this talent. But then obviously a few years later um, the conditions started progressing and I think that's when that dream just sort of disappeared and, yeah, it didn't reappear until, um, until I started doing para sport.
0: Why isn't EDS classifiable as a Paralympic sport?
1: yeah um essentially every sport is different but i'm pretty sure eds is blacklisted in general from all of them um and that is because it doesn't lead to what they call eligible impairments so each sport will have a different list of eligible impairments but um most sports it'll be you know like amputation or um like loss of um, motor control loss of muscle power loss of range of motion um all those sort of yeah, those sort of um, factors and EDS genuinely, um, generally, gen- generally um, doesn't lead to any of any of them. So EDS will generally have low muscle tone, um, but they they uh, they do. I think there's some conditions where they do allow low muscle tone to be classified, but um, yeah, EDS isn't isn't one of those because it's generally I think not low enough to consistently kind of affect your performance um and i think because it's just so yeah it's so variable and i guess yeah just would be quite quite hard and i also just think that there'd be so many people if you could allow people with eds to compete um it's because it's not even rare anymore like there would be
0: mm.
1: there'd be a lot of people but um but yeah that's how i've always kind of explained it is that it's it just doesn't lead to those eligible impairments and um when i was doing badminton obviously i went in just saying i had eds um but they, they were saying, oh no, you've got something else. And you know, my, my left hand was sort of curl round, um, in the way that an athlete was, um, with cerebral palsy would normally sort of have, and, and they would call it my cerebral palsy arm. And I was like, but I don't have cerebral palsy. I've just got EDS. And I had to explained to me that my muscles were tight because of, they were trying to compensate for my ligaments and, um, being too lax. Um, so they were trying to protect the joints and hold them in place. Um, that's what I was always kind of told was why I had high muscle tone rather than low muscle tone. But um, yeah, it turns out that the reason I was eligible was actually because I had an underlying neurological condition um, and that's what was causing the eligible impairments, which for me are that high muscle tone, um, the incoordination, loss of power, loss of um, range of motion um, and those sort of, yeah, sort of impairments. But there has been a bit of a push from athletes with EDS for it to be recognised, but um, yeah, it's one of those things I I don't think it will sort of anytime soon.
0: And in terms of then the neurological condition, because obviously, as we know, with a lot of Paralympic sports, there are still a variety of classifications that still mm-hmm. fall into that. So, do you then have to, I guess, do you submit your condition to the International Paralympic? Like how does that come about, and how do you then get classified so you know, come Paris, what you're trying to qualify, what what classification you're trying to qualify for?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's all done well ahead of time of um of Paris, um, because there were stories of um. I think up to the London games where you could get classified sort of um, your final classification at the Paralympics. And then some people would end up being moved classes, you know, days before a race or they'd end up being actually declassified um, before a race, which is obviously a big upset for everyone. So they've tried to avoid that now where there's your classification has to be completely finalized before you, before you go into the games, um, which is great. And so again, for each sport, it's been different Um, for, Rowing, I actually was incorrectly diagnosed as having cerebral palsy because um, that was the second set of classifiers that had said to me, oh, it looks like cerebral palsy. Um, it, it does look like from the outside, people always sort of ask me, do you have um yeah, cerebral palsy? Quite a similar sort of gait pattern. Um, and so I went to a neurologist based on that because they couldn't classify me until I actually had a diagnosis. Um, so I went to a neurologist and he went, yep, more than happy with, with that diagnosis. That, that makes sense to me. Um, did some scans and the MRI showed up some brain lesions, but not, where you'd expect for cerebral palsy but he went I think that's still the best diagnosis um and that got me through with with rowing and the way that that happens is you do obviously you submit your medical documentation um but then you also do a lot of physical physical tests um for someone with like a, an amputation it's a lot simpler they kind of just show them the x-rays or um and you know most cases if there's no other impairments it's sort of yeah, cool that's this classification whereas neurological for me my classifications have gone for up to four hours Um, and it's normally four hours hours and like you're physically cooked and then you have to normally as part of your classification you have to race the next day Um, and that's just to kind of make sure that what they've seen in testing um, then translates out to the field and is sort of what they'd expect Um, and so yeah I would just be Absolutely cooked. If I become, if I um, would do my classification, I would actually get like full body muscle spasms, which is part of my um, dystonia, and so I would end up being absolutely wrecked come race day because the whole night I'd be up with these muscle spasms from the effects of you know having to um, push yourself so hard in classification. Mm. Um, and it's quite interesting because I've had my athletics done twice and. Theirs is a lot less invasive. They do obviously your, um, manual muscle testing just for your strength and your range of motion. And they do watch you, you know, do some jumps and running and that sort of stuff. But both times they've classified me very consistently, um, without me having to be physically exerted and it's taken half an hour max. Um, whereas, rowing was very intense and triathlons even more intense um that's been very similar the last um my last one was quite quick but the one before that was four hours again and i had to ride a bike i had to run i had to um go to pool and had to yeah walk, do all of the manual muscle testing. They wanted to actually see the effect of fatigue. So they were, they were really trying to fatigue my muscles as well, um, which is quite traumatic. And then you've got to do a, a full race the next day. So my first couple of years of triathlon were really hard because I had to get classified a few times, because um, normally you'll get put on a provisional um, to start with, and then you'll get put onto a review status um, and then they'll check you again in like six months or a year or whatever the date is to, to check the they've kind of got you in the right spot. Um, and and then I also had the situation where I went along to my provisional and my first one were all kind of consistent as a PTS2, which is the most impaired standing. Um, but then my I went along to my first international, I think it was my first international, um, and they put me as a PTS3 by two points, um, which is then not a Paralympic event this year or next year. Um, and we were just like, well, how's this happened? I've been PTS two consistently and safely a PTS two. How have I ended up as a PTS three? Um, and it turns out there were some points that weren't added up quite right. Um, but mostly it was because they hadn't considered any of my muscle in coordination, um, because they just didn't have the right box for it. Whereas in, um, things like cycling and, um, athletics there's a specific box for essentially dystonia. Um, whereas for, um, yeah, for triathlon, there wasn't that box. And so all of my muscle in coordination, which is a lot of my impairment, actually wasn't taken into consideration um, until we went and got further documentation um, to show that essentially that needs to be taken into consideration. Um, got all of that sorted, had to go over the other side of the world um, to Wales last year to get then get my classification redone because um, I just knew that I wasn't a PTS3. Um, went along to that classification, they redid all of the testing, looked at my documentation and they were like, oh, yeah, you're very obviously you're right in the middle of PTS2, like you're nowhere near PTS3, um, which was a huge relief. It took like an hour max sort of thing. Um, and yeah, Carl came in with me and we were both just like, oh, we're on a roller coaster. And so I got moved down to PTS2 for the next day. And that's when really my um yeah career kind of took off because i could finally start So you
0: knew at that point then and then that obviously as you were saying leads then to knowing that that's an event at the paralympics that it's it's not that one what it's just
1: yeah and the the main thing with that is that it not being a paralympic event was was that there's there's no funding um because they were allowing five five pts3 women so the top five could go over to paris but they'd be racing against the pts4 athletes right um so they'd be going upper class and we thought, oh, I'm probably still competitive with the PTS3s. I could, because um, it is a less um, competitive field at the moment, because it's not a Paralympic event. Um, so we thought, oh, maybe I can still compete. Um, but then triathlon, so they just weren't sure if that would yeah, get me any funding. And that just brings up the whole, I can't afford to go to these races and I can't afford to qualify sort of scenario again. So we we're very lucky. And I think as soon as I got classified, it was just, um, I know Kyle described me in my first race where I, the next day where I um, came second against a pretty big big field. Um, he just said, you know, oh, she's a firecracker that we've been sitting on for two years. And finally she was, she was ready and we could let her off. And, um, yeah, it was, it was so exciting because I think, um, finally I could just focus on my performance rather than all the stress of classification and having to then eventually get re-diagnosed because, um, in my first classification, one of the classifiers was someone that classified me in rowing a few years ago. And he went, your condition has progressed so much. Like you've got physically stronger and fitter, but, I can see your condition is degenerated. It's clearly not cerebral palsy because that doesn't deteriorate. Um, so I had to go and find another neurologist um, and one that specialized in rarer conditions. And it was him that, um, that went, Oh, it's actually this one in a million condition, which is why no one would have ever <laughs> seen it before. Um, and um, yeah, so that's, it's kind of crazy. It's a crazy story that classification was such a nightmare, but it's actually what led to me getting diagnosed and maybe I'm without sport. I may never have actually known what what that diagnosis was and wouldn't have been medicated, which does um, slow the progression of the, of the condition. So hopefully is um yeah. Increase my quality and sort of length of life.
0: Well, that's all the positives there. I mean, absolutely. To problem. kind of have that there. And, and then an added positive, no pun intended silver lining is getting that silver medal then at the, uh, the world championships, which if I'm not mistaken, so it wasn't, they had to cancel the bike leg. So then they therefore make it, uh, is it called an, aquathon Uh,
1: aquathlon Aquathlon. Aquathlon. yeah so so that was um that was at swansea so i went over this year i um raced went overseas for three months um did my first race in july in swansea so that was my first race from last year um so back in wales um and yeah that there was gale force winds we almost got blown off our bikes the day before um for the course recon and it was not safe like bucketing down white caps on the water um and so they made the call the night before that it was going to have to be in aquathlon which i'd never done before um which is literally yeah they just cut the bike so you do the swim and then you just go straight to the run so it's quite a short race um and the bike is sort of where i really make my mark um i'm the fastest on the bike at the moment so that's where i kind of catch up from the fact that i'm not the fastest at the swim um so without having that i came out of the water there was four in our field. I came out of the water last, um, had no idea how far up the road the others were just had to run blind and try and try and find them. Um, and managed to run down. The first, the first, um, athlete in, I think, it was the third of three laps. I think the start of that lap, I managed to catch her because I was just going, oh, for, I'm going to come fourth. Like I came second year last year, what am I doing? Um, and so finally caught her and then um, got myself into third and then literally hit the second athlete to get into the silver medal position on the blue carpet. Um, and so it was then a, um, a sprint finish. I got past her quite comfortably. And then suddenly realised she was coming for me and I just felt her almost tap my shoulder <laughs> and I looked over and went, Whoa! Oh! <laughs> had to just floor it for the last few meters. We've got this amazing like video of me just of us just pounding down this <laughs> this line and they recorded it as one second, but it was probably less than a second, um, for me to yeah, get that, get that silver medal. Um, so that was pretty, that was pretty incredible. Um, and then at the test event the next month, it got turned on the day to a duathlon because of, um, water, uh, there was, a um, yeah, some water pollution in the, in the seine. Um, and so, yeah, we ended up doing a um, run bike run, which is much more my forte, um, just cut out my weakness. Um, and so, yeah, I managed to, managed to win that. And then the next month we had world championships, which was amazing. Cause we had for the first time, the complete PTS two women's field were there. Um, so most likely everyone that would be there in Paris was there. Um, so it was kind of a bit of a dress rehearsal. Um, and we got the full triathlon, which was, which was incredible. Um, and I, yeah, managed to, um, get second place and was only, I think, 21 or 22 seconds behind, um, the, yeah, world champion, who's been, who's someone I have only ever beaten in the duathlon. So um, that was an awesome experience. And,
0: and tell us about her because I, I want to know who who we've got to beat in Paris. Uh, <laughs> I know we, we we need to learn we need to learn more about your rival here so we can get ourselves ready.
1: <laughs> so it's quite interesting. Um, the three most competitive athletes um the only ones i think yeah the only ones who have ever beaten me um are three american ladies i was gonna say
0: are they americans i'm looking at yeah. the medal tally from the paralympics and it seems that yeah. this is america's event
1: america right? is definitely dominating the triathlon They have done for a little while um so yeah it's literally um literally those three ladies um so we've got um Alyssa seeley is two-time current well um current paralympic champion um, she was out last year in my first season um, with injury, um, but it's just come back this season. Um, so she's definitely um, yeah, I think back on the on the up again after um, after some sort of illness. Um, and she's actually got um, EDS, is obviously not a classifiable impairment for her, but um, pretty cool meeting another. It's the first time I've ever met another athlete with EDS, so um, yeah, we get along. We get along really well. Um, and then last year, I was beaten at World Champs by um, Melissa Stockwell, um, who came second, and then um, by Haley Dantz, who has been yeah, world champion um, yeah, ever since I've been in the sport. Um, I think she's come from memory second at the last maybe two Paralympics I, yeah. behind Alyssa. So mm-hmm. it's kind of been that um, yeah, that rivalry between um, yeah, Haley and Alyssa. Um, and yeah, Melissa, not, not too far behind. So, um, yeah, I think Alyssa had a bit of a, um, bit of a crash on the bike at world champs, um, but we, I know we did, uh, I think I was one second faster than her on the, on the run. So pretty similar there. She's a bit of a faster swimmer, um, than me. And I think on the bike, we're not hundred percent sure. Cause she crashed we probably really, um, yeah, kind of test her time with that. But I think, yeah, they're sort of the ones to beat pending anyone else slipping into the lineup in the next year.
0: It must be interesting for them, the amount of time they've been doing this sport, you know, going back to Rio, then then Tokyo. You know, they've been around obviously for quite some time. That here comes this upstart Aussie, who basically three years ago couldn't even swim. And now <laughs> she's basically up there on par with us and beating us. Like, I mean, is that... Sort of a level that you can look at it just on the mentality of beating your rivals. That uh, you know that there, there's got to be something there from these three that perhaps they're just feeling it a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's um yeah, pretty pretty wild. I think we're um pretty lucky. Like I get along with all three of them um really well, and I have so much respect for them, and um I feel like I've got so much that I can learn from them, and um yeah, you know, like Haley and I caught up um for coffee at at Wells, and it was just nice to sort of have that you know chat about all things in you know, like, not triathlon life, um, bit of triathlon chat, you know, just kind of nice. Cause I think there's such a, you know, yeah, they're, you know, there are, you know, we're all rivals as soon as the, you know, that gun goes, but at the end of the day, um, I know, like, I hope that they feel the same, but I feel like, um, I really, yeah, look up to them and, um, consider them to be, um, yeah. People that I just, yeah, really, I guess aspire to be like, but also just, um, have so much respect for and, where, you know, we support each other when we're we're standing on that start line. Then as soon as the gun goes, we're business at the end, you know, we all give each other a hug and um, say, well done, you know, no no matter what. And um, I think it's really important that we don't get the chance to, I know, I don't, I think they've got quite a good um, Paralympic training program over in the US. But um, over here, you know, I train in a group of um, able-bodied athletes, which I absolutely love, but it it does mean that I don't get a lot of exposure to to other para-athletes. And um, we get to see each other, you know, at races for the Australian team and, um, you know, at maybe one, one or two camps a year, but we don't get to see each other much. So I think for me, it's so special actually meeting people that, you know, are on the kind of same path as me. And, um, even though we've all got slightly different impairments, I think, um, I just, I really value spending, spending time with them. And, um, yeah, I hope that they feel the same, but I think it's always, there's always obviously going to be a bit of, um, conflict as soon as you start beating people. Um, but I think, yeah, hopefully I can sort of, yeah, really, um, earn that spot. I think I'm not there yet. Um, they're still giving me a good run for for my money. Um, but, um, yeah, I just hope that they kind of have that respect for me as, as well. And I think it can look a bit like I kind of came from nowhere. Um, but I think behind that, you know, everyone from, um, from my team knows how, you know, we had those two years where I was just training without, doing any you know any international racing just trying to get my classification sorted and trying to master the sport and then the years of rowing before that and you know my time in badminton and running before that so um it seems like you know that behind every overnight success is you know a lot of years of hard work and support so um yeah and that's it is always it's always interesting from their perspective i know i'd probably be pissed off if yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) i i see that you're right because i think that There are so many stories where people look at, say, quote that overnight success. The one I always like to look back on is, is a Stephen Bradbury. You know, everybody always Mm. looks at it as a, everyone fell over. He won a gold medal. It's lucky. But if you know Stephen's story and everything that he sort of achieved and overcame to get to that one point, like you, you understand it a lot more touching on sort of though, just in terms of paratriathlon in Australia. I mean, one one thing in general, I thought paratriathlon had been at the Paralympics for a lot longer, but it only made its debut in Rio. So it's actually mm. not been a Paralympic sport for that long. But are you sort of seeing, or at least hoping that it will progress a lot more that say that if we're talking in 10 years time, post Brisbane Olympics, that we're seeing a lot of younger para athletes out there wanting to get into paratriathlon and that. And is there a lot being done right now to try and identify these athletes to try and get them into paratriathlon?
1: A hundred percent, um, that's something that I know, um, yeah, ostraphon's been really focusing on is kind of trying to get ahead of the game and, um, you know, looking for, especially with the announcement of Brisbane, um, we are already looking at that. Cool. Let's look at Brisbane and, and beyond. Whereas I think in the past, cause it has been such a new sport. Um, we've had a lot of sort of the, the average age. I know the average age for most para sports is a bit older, but I think for triathlon especially was quite a bit older. Um, and that meant that people were aging out and there wasn't, you know, that, um, that new, um, sort of grassroots talent coming through that then when someone retired, there was someone ready to take their place who's been mentored by them. That kind of natural progression, we weren't really having that. Um, whereas now I know it's it's really starting to happen. The team's kind of getting younger and younger. And um, yeah, we, we get to meet all of the, um, the school aged athletes that are coming through. And I think it's just great that they're now getting... That support that maybe people who were um, sort of my age and, and older um, that support just wasn't there because of it not being in the games um, i think as soon as it's in the games it means that there's there's funding um and i guess the other aspect also is that um there's been not all classifications have been um involved in the games um so, for example p t s three women um have never been in the games before next year they can have five, the top five can go along, but they obviously don't have their own race um they're they're yeah racing upper category um and so I think as soon as we get all the classifications in that's just going to open up to having a, a bigger a bigger team and people knowing that um you know they're not going to be told a couple of years out that their class isn't actually going to in, isn't going to be in the games hopefully they'll have that security
0: because it seems to me with the Paralympics and I, and I don't know if you know this or if this is what I'm about to say is true that I know we say the Olympics they, they're quoted to a certain amount of athletes. So therefore medals are quite hard to come by particularly in the summer Olympics. So for example, if you're introducing a new sport and you have two new events, you've kind of got to remove two events from somewhere else because, you know, and we're seeing a lot of that with certain sports, you know, disciplines are getting removed because other sports are getting other ones, but mm. it seems in the Paralympics that there is a lot more freedom to introduce different classification because obviously there are so many classifications in so many different sports. So that, to me from the outside in and again i don't know if you know this or correct me if i'm wrong it seems that that would open that door for the the pt3 category to be introduced once it gets to a certain level without then coming at the cost of another event in your sport or another sport if all that makes sense
1: that's it yeah i'm not i'm not 100 sure how it all how all of it works but i guess it's always going to be so hard because say you look at the olympic triathlon there's literally the the men's and the women's, um, versus you look at triathlon and there's, you know, all these classifications and suddenly there's like 12 champions instead of two. Um, and so it is always, it's hard. And then you look at, um, at funding. So for example, the Paris, um, test event was the first time that, um, that I've been given prize money, um, for winning a race. Um, and I think for a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of athletes, I think most people on the Australian team, we've never been given any prize money before. Um, even, yeah, winning a world championships, we don't get a cent. Um, and so that was the first race where we got prize money, and um, that was something that the athlete committee um really pushed for and did a great job with. And um, the organisers were so supportive and managed to, and World Triathlon was so supportive and managed to um to lock that in. But obviously, they were saying um at the briefing how they wish it could have been um more. But at the end of the day, we had the same funding as what the able-bodied athletes would get. But obviously, it's just a lot less, because Mm. it has to be split amongst all of those classifications. um, Therefore, a champion's going to get Um, a lot less than an able body champion, um, because there's yeah, say 12 champions or more than that. Um, in some races, just Um,
0: men, women mix. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah,
1: that's it. Um, that's it. So, but obviously we were absolutely, we were absolutely stoked. Like we weren't getting, you know, tens of thousands of, um, of dollars, but, um, to us it was, yeah, it, it felt like that because it was just that recognition. Um, and so, yeah, in terms of the, the Paralympics, I think, um, You need, you know, you need more classifications because you look at something like rowing where I was so disadvantaged because everyone that uses their legs is in the same class. And you look at things like vision impaired athletes. There was no handicap for someone who was, you know, just met the criteria as the minimum level of blindness versus someone who's completely blind. There's no um, there's no handicap, whereas in triathlon, you know, we've got a few different, um, vision impaired categories and they have a handicap and they've worked out what the fair kind of handicap is to put people on that level playing field. And that's the thing. If you, if you've only got, you know, three classifications in a sport, it's not going to be a level playing field, um, mm. for some athletes. And that's really why, um, at the end of the day, why I've had to switch sport was to, to find a classification where I'm not disadvantaged, um, and yeah, it's quite amazing because most of the athletes that I, um, so Haley and Melissa are both um, above knee amputees, and then um, Alyssa is um, below knee amputee, but then has the um, some added neurological impairment. Um, but somehow we all are very similar, which is so interesting because um, I, I never would have thought, like, oh, I've, I'm the same as an above knee amputee, yeah. but obviously um, I'm more impaired in like maybe the swim. Um, but then I'm like less impaired in the run. Um, so it's, yeah, it's interesting how it all kind of works out. It's
0: it's Uh, always fascinated me at the Paralympics of that, because like, I just, it always blows my mind when i watch an event and, you know, I remember watching cycling one year and it was, there was a, an athlete who had, you know, two below knee amputations up against an athlete who had say one, one, and then like, you would just see them compete against each other. And as somebody from the outside, I'm looking going like, well, that seems so unfair. Like one person has clear advantage over the other, but at the end of the time it didn't work out that way. And they were obviously able to, like, it was, it's fascinating. I don't don't know if I envy those people in those positions who have to classify it or I envy them because they're obviously very intelligent people that can work this out, but it's just, it's so just incredible how you can take what looks like something on the outside, very obvious, but clearly isn't once you get to the bottom of it.
1: Exactly. And it's and you know, it's by no means perfect. I yeah. think some sports have it, you know, down to more of a fine art than maybe newer sports. Um, and you always get appeals. Like I've only heard of, I think, one in the time that I've been in um triathlon. I don't think I heard of any in rowing, but um appeals do happen. You know, an athlete will come onto the scene and um athletes or coaches or officials will look at them and go, This isn't right. Particularly if, you know, they um like say if I'd come in last year and suddenly I was, you know, five minutes faster than, you know, someone like Haley who'd been going around for ages. That's when they would put up a bit of a red flag and go, have we definitely classified you right? And obviously maybe that can happen. Maybe someone can come out of the woodworks and be really fast. But it's it's probably pretty unlikely, especially when they're new to the sport. Um and so those appeals do happen. Um and then they have to look back through and and see, you know, if maybe they've they've missed something or um yeah, what sort of what's sort of going on there. Um, but yeah, I don't envy them at all. Mm. Um, I know even I think there's even going to be some changes to the system, um, in triathlon, um, based on the conversations that we have with the classifiers, cause they obviously went, Oh, why don't we have a box that, um, that, um, you know, can classify someone with dystonia, like dystonia should have its own box essentially. Um, and so, and that's something that I, I showed them all, oh, well, cycling literally has this exact, this exact box. Um, and I know some other athletes have run into that in the last sort of years since I've had it as well. Um, so it's great that they're, I think they just have to be open to, to making those changes and going, Oh, the system isn't perfect. And it's always going to sort of, um, sort of, yeah, be changing. But I think from my experience in triathlon, it seems, um, especially coming from rowing where there weren't many classifications, um, it seems like they're doing a, a pretty good job. And I guess, most people you can kind of like you could look at them from afar and um and go oh yeah they'd be they'd be this class um obviously neurological is can be a little bit more difficult and i think um sometimes um especially you know people with a more visible disability like um an amputation or um yeah spinal cord injury if they're full-time wheelchair user they sort of look at someone like me and go oh how are you like you know how are you as impaired as as that person but then i think what they they don't realize is um you know maybe an amputee doesn't have a reduced hand function or maybe they don't, their muscles don't fatigue as much or they've got, you know, still full range of motion in their other limbs. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. I don't, I don't envy the people that have to make the system.
0: It's so like you could, you'd sit here for hours and just talk about just how unique and everything. And it's just, yeah, it really, really, everyone should have
1: their own classification.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe who knows? Um, what what for now? Obviously, we're recording this sort of at the end of twenty twenty three, sort of right near the end of December. But what is the process now for you to get to Paris? What what do you need to do to get that ticket to uh, to get that test event and turn that into a, a, a Paralympic event?
1: So essentially, the arm um, qualification period is the start of July this year to the start of um, July next year. Um, so that's two months before our race um, and. It's the best of our three races in that qualification period um, and the top, I'm pretty sure they've left it as the top nine in my um, classification go through. So at the moment, just based on those three races I did um, yeah, over this year, um, I'm ranked third and so I literally just have to pretty much stay in that in that top. Stay in the
0: top nine and you're there. Stay
1: in the top nine. Um and so my score from worlds was pretty good coming coming second. Um but then my unfortunately my other two races, because they became a duathlon and a quaflon, um, you only actually get 75% points if they get if the format gets changed. So it's a bit of a, a bummer that was my first two races for the qualification period. And they, um, they got changed, but, um, essentially, yeah, I'll just look to, um, do some more races next year, not just for qualification, but, um, for race experience as well. Um, and just sort of, yeah, boost up my, my point score. But I think really the main thing is just staying, um, yeah, staying healthy and injury free really.
0: Do, do you then play it safe to remain in the top nine or is it a case of, well, you want to go to the Paralympics, but also want to win the Paralympics. So like, I mean, kind of what's the the balance there between now and that period?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, we won't place a huge emphasis on like, if I go into it ranked first or ninth, like it really doesn't, obviously I don't probably want to be ninth. Um, I think our, um, but our, you know, essentially doesn't, it doesn't matter to me sort of thing. Essentially. Um, it's really getting the race experience that I need, um, and making sure that it kind of yeah fits in with my training, training cycles. So I think we've got a pretty good sort of race, um, race plan built out, but I'm definitely not going to be, um, you know, chasing all the world cups and that sort of thing to get, um, yeah, to get points right up until, you know, the few weeks before the period ends or anything. Cause by then I really want to be, have that solidified and just have qualification off my mind and, um, yeah, really just focus on my preparation. Um, yeah. For, for the games really. So I think it's, it's really just, Get yourself i think for us for australia we need to be um top five for for them to definitely send us after that it's kind of um up to their their discretion um but yeah essentially i just want to yeah be in that top five so i get through and just don't i just don't wanna have to stress about it really so i can focus on on training and performing yeah on the day
0: how how are you feeling right now in terms of just uh where you're at and the confidence level about achieving that qualification
1: um, yeah, I think, I think really for me, like I said, the the priority is just staying healthy. I think that's the, that's the biggest thing, especially having, um, yeah, having disabilities that can kind of make you a bit more prone to injuries, um, and illness. So I think that's really my main priority and just keeping myself, yeah, happy and enjoying it at this point is, um, is really important. Um, obviously end of the year had a little bit of a, um, not a full break, but was only sort of doing one session a day um after after world chance, which for me is a nice break. Um, <laughs> and just sort of like regenerating, let the body heal from what was a pretty big three months um of not much not much rest at all. um and so, yeah, just kind of letting myself um have a bit of yeah, bit of bit of downtime really comparatively to what I normally do, um focusing on kind of getting our, um, equipment sort of making sure I know exactly what I'm going to be using. Um, come Paris so that we've got, you know, months and months to test that and get comfortable with it and make any adaptations that we need. So yeah, really kind of stripped it back to, to the basics of focusing on technique and equipment and, um, and then yeah, we'll start really cracking back in, in the, in the new year to getting race ready.
0: Do you allow yourself like, uh, I don't know. A croissant here and there, maybe listen to a bit of uh, French music, uh, you, you know, get try some escargot, like do you get yourself in the French vibe at all between now and uh, August?
1: Oh, you, you've got to. Um, I absolutely am all for carb loading. Um, <laughs> good croissants, great for your carb loading. Um, <laughs> definitely need to practice my um, French-speaking skills. Um, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. one thing that is. Horrendous. We <laughs> we oui, oui. bonjour, je m'appelle Anou That's <laughs>
0: that's all you. Need. It. Yep. Um,
1: that's all you. Need. It got us by. It did get yep. us by. Yep. People were quite friendly, which is nice. Um, but I would like to know a little bit more, but obviously travelling to a few different countries in the last couple of years I end up getting a bit um a bit mixed up and you know, could it you are bonjour?
0: Where I <laughs> <what country? laughs> Yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just say good day. <laughs> then they
0: know where you're from, right?
1: Exactly, exactly um yeah yeah, pretty funny but no i love paris i've never been before um and it was just god our our course is stunning i was gonna
0: say that call we had we had matt hauser on a few weeks back and he was talking about it and just looking at it it looks it looks pretty incredible
1: it is absolutely stunning i think um i was doing the course recon the day before our race um with sally Pilbeam, um one of the pts4 athletes and um she just kept um we were in the swim and she just suddenly grabbed my ankle and I was like what what are you okay and she went we're in (laughs) Paris we're being insane (laughs) it was was wild
0: but this is what I appreciate about the organizers of the olympics when they do this because I mean I, I think back to the very first triathlon in Sydney and of course that's finishing at the opera house I mean London obviously had a pretty epic one and and obviously, since the paratriathlon, I mean, no disrespect to Rio and Tokyo, they weren't exactly iconic sort of landmarks that we had sort of in Sydney and London. So the fact that for paratriathlon, this will be like the real first time that you've had the freaking Eiffel Tower is there, right? Like the Champs, like like just all those icons that will be there. I mean, that's what you want kind of not just for you, but for the audiences watching this.
1: That's it. It's, it's incredible. I think it's probably not the most practical venue in terms of, I know there's like, I haven't even been able to get tickets for anyone to come watch my race because I don't think there's much space for Mm. a grandstand. Um, Because it's literally, I think, like on a bridge essentially, and it's right in the center. And the fact that they're shutting the roads of like the busiest part of Paris off is just mind-boggling that they can do that um and and i think they're like oh it was just that the, the organizers have actually been just incredible um and we had a bit of a chat from them at the test event saying you know we wanted this to be the most special venue and um you know to really have it right in the in the heart and they, they sort, sort of said you know we thought we were crazy but we've somehow pulled it off um and obviously even just being able to get us to swim in the seine is that's been a mammoth effort and they're still still working on it to make sure that um, that really, no matter what, um, with the rainfall and everything, it doesn't, um, doesn't get polluted again. Um, it's just incredible. I think the other day we had a call in there, um, organizing to put a lift in down to the the level that we start the swim on, because there's a lot of stairs down, or I think a steep, a steep ramp. So obviously for the wheelchair athletes and, you know, those with, um, more, um, yeah, severe like, mobility dif- um, difficulties, it's quite challenging to get down there. And so they, yeah, they just said, Oh, we're putting in a lift. I was like, Wow, that is, that is incredible dedication. Um, it's, it's amazing. Like I think in the race, I, um, yeah, didn't get much time to have a bit of a, to have a look around the course. It was just sort of head down, tail up. Um, but looking at the photos after, and it's just, you know, the, um, yeah like we're riding along the Champs-Élysées and like all these amazing monuments every corner there was a different monument and it's just in the background of you know a photo of us like running or riding and it's like gee was I was I there (laughs) just incredible and there were so many amazing photographers that came out to the test event and just sent us all their photos after and it was yeah it was looks good on the
0: gram, basically
1: looks great on the ground that is that is exactly that was the only reason i wanted to do that race you know get some good for the gram it
0: does get a few get a few profile pictures. profile pictures and likes there fantastic i <laughs> knew uh, before we get to our final questions two things i want to touch on uh first of all we've introduced recently to off the podium a mascot we have our own very own mascot as you can see behind me i've got uh freeze the uh the olympic mascot i don't have the the paralympic mascot but i believe it's uh i believe it's freeze but with a, a blade I believe
1: yeah it's pretty very cool
0: it's it's pretty <laughs> epic I need to get myself a, a Paralympic one to go with the Olympic one but we've got our own mascot now I want to introduce you to our mascot and I want to first of all see if you can guess what he is before we uh oh, this
1: is incredible
0: can you can you tell leg... he's so he's got oh
1: he's a chair right
0: he's a chair correct he's, got four
1: legs. he's cherry
0: this is cherry now now cherry He's been through a bit, as you can see. He's got a bit of a sore leg, but uh, he's brilliant. he's come back through. He's, he's won a medal. Now, we're, we're trying to get from our guests ahead of Paris. Do you think Cherry's a bit inspirational? Can we take some inspiration from Cherry ahead of Paris?
1: Cherry seem, seems like um he's very resilient. Yes. And that, that's what I think I value, I value the most. And I think, you know, my story shows that I've not had the smoothest of journeys and I think I've had to kind of, you know, keep getting up when, you know, maybe – been told you know 99 of people would have um would have given up and i reckon you know cherry's learned i don't know what sport you know he's into but i don't think energy, we haven't really like quite interesting to um yeah quite interesting learning how to coordinate that is sport, true like, you know we, we've so. never
0: really designated a sport for cherry
1: yeah, maybe you a know. multi-sport athlete maybe you
0: know, you know well i'm I'm, a, I'm an advocate i mean this is why i love triathlon i'm an advocate for multi-sports i mean i'm a, I'm a massive modern pentathlon fanboy so Amazing you know, uh, and when it comes that to winters, Nordic combined, I'm, I'm huge on, on all. I'm, I'm huge on sports where you've got to do multiple sports in one. Like I, I think love
1: that. I love that. Yeah, I'm with
0: you. But I mean, I, I'm glad we're getting that because I mean, he's very happy. Like, you know, he's got a he's damaged here. He's, he's multinational being Canadian and Australian. So there's that as well. But like, we're trying to, we're, we're going to work out a way to get multiple cherries so that we can send you one and then you can use him as a good oh. luck charm in Paris. How would that be?
1: That would be absolutely incredible. I would love that. I would, Proudly, proudly, having travelled the globe with men come over to Paris.
0: Beautiful. That's what we want. And then on the gold medal dais, when the tears are coming down the cheek because of advanced Australia Fair, think back to this beautiful face about where it all started.
1: Exactly. Back to back to the amazing cherries' resilience.
0: Exactly. With and it's, it's Medal in hand. Good. All right. I love it. I like I love that. it. Good. That's what we wanted. My here. kind of
1: my kind of mascot.
0: Got that. That's exactly it. That's exactly. He's the people's <laughs> mascot. He is the it's people's perfect. mascot. I love that. That is what cherries. The other thing I want to touch on, this is one particularly for our video viewers. I, I am absolutely loving the room you're in. And I'm seeing this, like, oh, there's art, just... there's color. <laughs> I mean, even your chair. Is that is that llamas on your chair? Yeah,
1: good old llama chair.
0: It's I've amazing.
1: It's an aerosol piece I did. So um, you do
0: that? That is you. That you are the other When artist. I was
1: quite little, um, these were all me. So this one was
0: called
1: wow. um, Pig. Um, Wise Old Pig because I loved pigs when I was little. Um, That was good old 2009, was that 13 then? Um, And then, yeah, those two were both ones I did, sort of kids ones that I did, um, yeah, when I was, what, 13 or 14. Is Um, is there still
0: that passion? Are you still into art at all?
1: I am. Um, I haven't done any for, like, quite a while, sort of, like, dabble in it here and there, but I actually, um, yeah, got a merit in... Um, year twelve visual arts. Um take you on a journey. Please do. Um,
0: I, I love this for our audio for listeners to sure. check out our YouTube video <laughs> because this is this I love this journey. Wow, that's amazing. What's that? Yeah, not
1: great for the podcast viewers, but um yeah this was um my year twelve art piece. So it sort of starts in the center of me as a um a baby. I called it new illusion the um evolution <laughs> of Anu. Um, so it starts in the middle of me as the baby. <laughs> Then four of me as a toddler, and these were all um, silhouettes that I traced um, of photographs of me um, throughout wow. my, my childhood. So you've got me with like a pram with some bunny ears on and <laughs> doing general toddler things. And then the blue ones um, are me playing the cello, violin. I was an Irish dancer, so um, uh, a of photo course of course you were. I, that was my that next before. question. Yep. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the one down the bottom was me with a little squirrel because I loved animals. And then the next four are, um, yeah, me, Right up to the age of 18 when I was, that was me on a unicycle, still walking, doing Diablo and then jumping into the, into the water. I was quite into circus. Um, I'm so up. disappointed
0: and, that like a hundred years ago when Paris last had the Olympics, they had artistic medals. They had like literature and painting and sculpture. Why do we not have these? Because then you could have been ticking off multiple sports at the Paris oh, Olympics.
1: Outrageous. I know. Like, Start a petition to bring it back. I it reckon.
0: really should be. That's incredible. I really which actually makes me very excited. Then, even more so for these final <laughs> questions, because I mean, as always, these final questions are based on a questionnaire that Team Canada got ahead of the Rio and the the Paralympic, uh, the the Pyeongchang Olympics and Paralympics. And as part of this element, we always say every every guest we have on the show there is a drawing element if you so do wish. So Ooh. on this on this questionnaire, <laughs> they had the option to do a couple of drawings. So, for example, you draw your dream. Olympic medal what the coolest Olympic medal would look like there's draw a picture of a Canadian animal or I guess an Australian animal or as you said you like animals just draw a picture of an animal and then there's draw a picture of yourself now we've, we've put this challenge out we had Jeff Dunn, Australian breaker on recently he's a bit of an artist and he said that like oh like I can draw a picture of myself and Cherry breaking so if you wanted to draw a picture of you and Cherry doing triathlon
1: I like this
0: there's right. an option you're on Okay, good. Because you're very obviously you've got the skills, and I think that this would turn out quite well.
1: Look, no, no promises of it turning out well, but it will be. (laughs) It'll be interesting, and it will be there. I can guarantee.
0: I like I like putting challenges to our guests. To see if they come through, because then it's competitive against our guests. I like it. We've had the this whole, before. Whole we've had we've <laughs> had guests voting like who who had the better drawing. I I, I love oh, it. Well, this is
1: this is pressure now.
0: They're all the pressure. That's what we like all here. The we. Love it. Uh, let's start with the questions though. All what right, is really? to you the greatest Olympian of all time? Is oh straight with the hard one.
1: Yeah no, let's just go straight in. <laughs> Olympian or Paralympian.
0: Of course. Absolutely.
1: Right, well, I'd, have to, I'd have to go at Please do. Yes. Um, or oh, who am I gonna say? Like, I feel like you can't go past Kurt Fernley. Mm. Um, I think performance-wise, obviously incredible. Um, I think just what he's done for um the Paralympic movement, um, and really building that and giving us that sense of pride, I think um I've never met him but I've listened to um him speak a lot and watch him in a lot of programs and I think he's just I really see him as a kind of just such a kind of wise leader in in um the Paralympic movement and in the disability community and yeah he's one of those people that I really just um really look up to and I think I think to me being a being a para-athlete being an elite athlete being a Paralympian is so much more about the actual performance because I think it can be sport can be so selfish, like, you know, the, the times you don't get to spend with your family and friends and that you've got to prioritize your training and traveling um, can be very, very selfish. Um, and I think something I'm very aware of is kind of using my platform um, for good and trying to create some, some positive change. And I think, yeah, Kurt's one of those people that I really look up to as a, a role model and someone that has really left a huge legacy.
0: Great answer. I love it. Kurt is an absolute legend. So uh, absolutely love that answer. First Olympics, you remember watching or Paralympics again, we'll, we'll, we we'll go on that first uh, Olympics, Paralympics. You do remember watching.
1: Ooh, I reckon it was probably the first ones that I was really engaged in, I'd say was London. Um, I remember it being on, um, at school and just, we, we kept skipping out of class to, um, <laughs> to try and, to try and watch it because it was on in the library. So we just kind of keep going, Oh yeah, I need to borrow another book. Oh, I need to go to the bathroom. Oh, I <laughs> need go to the nurse and we'd run into the office and, and watch it. Um, yeah, that was, that was incredible. And I think the, um, you know, the, um, Paralympics GB yes, I can campaign. That yeah. Really came
0: that was amazing. Yeah. That song incredible. and everything that came from that, that was great. Yeah.
1: Incredible. Um, so I think that's so memorable and something that I still probably remember it's probably some of my strongest memories um, of the Paralympics is really because of that campaign coming out and something that I, I think even, even now so many years later is, um, Yeah, still very relevant and
0: something I really like watching. I'm always so 50-50 on that question because I love hearing our guests tell about those Olympic memories and when they first watch it, but the other side of it, it always makes me just feel so old now given that uh, so many people are like, oh, yeah, London (laughs) was my first or like I remember Rio and here I am going like, yeah, I remember as a five-year-old watching Barcelona, Um, you know, uh, so (laughs) and it's just like great. Uh, I need to get more legends on this show who are a lot older than me. (laughs) To make to make me feel good about myself, and you talk about like school. Like I mean, I was thirteen during Sydney, and that was of course when basically all of Australia got a two week holiday. So that yeah. I I sadly didn't come home. I, mean, I live in Sydney now, but I sadly didn't go to the Olympics. But I remember just being glued to the television for two weeks in my tiny oh. little Hobart house watching them. So you know, but uh, hey, look, uh, uh, I'm old. I get it. Uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be?
1: Oh, a hundred percent teleportation. Yes. Yeah. Genius. Like I just think how easy would overseas travel be like mm-hmm. going to a race? Yep. You could literally just get ready at home. Yep. Presumably you'd be able to, ideally I'd like to better take my equipment with me in the teleportation portal. Of course. Um, be able to, you know, just literally have all my stuff ready, pack it all up and then just like, poof, I'm there at the start line.
0: Wake, up, wake up in your own bed and then compete in the Olympics at like that, two.
1: Exactly. Don't need hotels. Yeah. Don't need, you know, 24 hours on a plane. Absolutely magical. Plus, yes. the amount of money you would save, far out. Exactly. And money, you could just visit the whole world with no effort.
0: It would be incredible. Although I think airlines probably wouldn't like that. They might probably go bankrupt. But, but
1: that's all right. They're, they gauge
0: they gouge I mean, us enough.
1: That's the thing. Alan I'm sure Joyce enough money to last a life.
0: <laughs> Looking at you, Alan. <laughs> Don't think he's a CEO anymore. He, he he's off in retirement, isn't he? Uh your favourite ice cream flavour
1: is. Ooh. Oh, that's stressful. Um, it really depends <laughs> on the day. I'm very indecisive, if you couldn't tell. Um, <laughs> I, think it really like, I love that on... answer. It's
0: very stressful for your favourite ice cream flavour. Did, death
1: didn't understand life. the stress what? of that
0: one until we asked it.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, literally, I'm not going to sleep tonight. I hope you realise. <laughs> it grew in my, my whole week of sleeping. Um, You're welcome. I, think I quite like, um, like Turkish Delight. I've had some <gasps> good Turkish Delight ice cream. Yes. Um, and they used to sell at the supermarket actually um, One of those, I think it was like Cadbury's or something And they did like a Caramello flavour And I don't think they make it anymore Which is quite devastating because I loved it But
0: that's like, this is the thing about ice cream Because like, I, I'm not honestly huge on like chocolates and candy and stuff like that But ice cream is my my vice But like, I love Ooh. those flavours I remember like when Arnott's would experiment with some flavours And they had an iced Vovo flavoured ice cream
1: That is wild it's So
0: good it was, incredible. <laughs> it was so good. But that's the genius of marketing, right? You put it out for like a month or two and then here we are talking about it years later. And there, Arnott's, if you're listening, or, you, you know, t- Cadbury's t- yep. Turkish Alight, Caramello.
1: Bring it back. Bring, bring it, it back. back.
0: Yep. It's it's like the McRib, right? That's back at the moment, isn't it? Like, come on. Back. There you it's go. like
1: caramel because well, remember when caramel was... <gasps> Selling for like some stupid amount of money because it was rare. And so now like
0: it's on eBay, weren't they? For like, you yeah. know, uh,
1: yeah. lettuce. lettuce is going for thousands of dollars. Like, it's just, it's bonkers. But yeah, like Turkish ice cream, people would probably pay that because I don't know. I don't know when we last had it, but I reckon it was a good decade ago. So putting it out
0: there to the universe, I know it's going to come yeah, back. That's let's,
1: where let's... my money is going to go. When I learn how to teleport, all my money that I normally spend on airfares and accommodation.
0: Turkish delight ice cream yeah, or just start potato. your own Turkish delight ice cream company and then reap the benefits from all the demand. Great
1: idea. That is how I'll, I'll fund my, my career. I reckon. You're welcome. That's-
0: this is educational off the podium and, and right, informative. Yeah. You come on here and you get career advice. So Career
1: advice. I love it.
0: Yep, exactly. That's, that's our, that's our new uh, MO on this show moving forward. Uh, if you were a baseball player, what would your walk up music be?
1: Oh. Man, this is more stressful than life. <laughs>
0: do, you, do, you, do you need some inspiration? Let, let's get him out. There he is. He's Cherry.
1: He's there. He's there.
0: He's smiling what are your at your you...
1: words? What are your words of wisdom, Cherry?
0: I I, I, I I used to be like, you know, whisper into my ear, like something like that. It does. Yeah.
1: Oh. I'm kind of... Oh, I'm so torn. This is so hard. I'm kind of, for some reason, going the complete opposite way, um, <laughs> thinking that... Um, no, dun, 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 dun. Nah, which the is fire. really not very pump up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you're wanting to go under the satellite like, slow motion. I feel like that's just like I'm just getting ready. Oh, yeah, <laughs> which is
1: quite funny, you know. Think about it. Everyone's going there, and it's like this pump up music, you know. Do the
0: Mr. Bean <laughs> version from the London Olympics. though. remember the whole like boom, 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 boom. Like do that version, and I yeah. see it. All
1: right, it's on. Lock it in. That's hey. the answer.
0: Never had that answer before. I like it. That's very inspiring. Have that in front of the Eiffel Tower in Paris. You'll be you'll be laughing with Cherry. Like I mean, it's just everything's ticking the boxes. Are uh, the best nickname you've ever been called? Is
1: oh man, these are these are tricky. Thanks,
0: Team Canada. You're getting some love for this uh, yeah. tricky questions. All
1: right. Oh, that's a real great question.
0: Do you, do you have many nicknames? Is this something that's kind of
1: yeah? I think like because obviously like like Anu that's it's quite a like it does lead to a few nicknames. So I quite often get like Nunu, Noodle. No, um, Anubis was quite a good one. I quite I like, like that. Yeah, we get
0: Christine um, Christine Anu.
1: In Anu, yeah, that was that's that's one that's come up quite a few times. Um, I think probably yeah. I don't have any really funny nicknames. Mum used to call me like the 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 Nunu monster, which was the vacuum cleaner off um Teletubbies. Yeah, uh, okay, that
0: sounded familiar when you said that. Yeah, yeah okay. so that yep. was
1: quite good. Um, and then and then kind of like noodles turned into like um like um like no, it was like noodle bug, and then it's like now it's like doodle bug, um <laughs> doodle bugster, bugster. Like <laughs> you know, you get further and further away. Yeah, um, so I think probably the funniest thing with my name was that um. So it's spelled A N U, that's that's it. Um, and obviously, if you were to say, "Oh, I'm going to a news house," but you forget the apostrophe, as kids often did at primary school, um, it becomes something else. Um, and so (laughs) I learned how to spell my name off the back of toilet doors because obviously I could recognise my name, couldn't get free to write. Um, so I would see my name on the back of a toilet door, and I was like oh, I remember like one day we are in like Victoria or something and I was like, mum, my name's written on the back of the toilet door and I was like, I promise I don't have a pen like it wasn't me and mum was just like, Yeah, that's yep.
0: one that you'll learn when that's,
1: you're a bit older.
0: That's, that's the name, that's that's definitely you. Um,
1: that's, it's, there, that's me. It's,
0: it's it's always funny that the innocence of childhood, right? Like just the oh, innocence yeah. of these words. Um, yeah, okay. But,
1: it's classic, it's classic. Very educational. Very and educational. It came up in year, year nine when someone Put the connection when we were um you know in an anatomy lesson and um someone went, oh that looks like your name I was like yeah. thank you Let's thanks just keep for that get yep. on the down all yep. right? <laughs> <you know?
0: laughs> where where is it what's the origin of the of Anu it's a, you know where does yeah. that generally originate from
1: um so it's quite multicultural um mum actually got it from um it's quite like Christine Anu it was quite a um common surname up in the Torres Strait Islands. Um, And I was born in Cairns, so I think mum... Kind of heard it um from meeting a few people from the Torres Strait Islands um and decided that she was going to set go yeah was going to go Anu for a girl and Anu for a boy ah. um but most people I've met I think I've now met actually met someone at the um airline um check in at Adelaide Airport the other week when I was um going to camp the the lady checking in went we've got the same name and I thought she went oh Francis and I looked at it and it was it was Anu so she was only the second person I've met with the same name um and. She was, oh, where did she say she was from? I have a feeling she was like, had some Vietnamese. Heritage from memory, right. um, but the others that I that I've like met or heard of have been Indians. So it's quite quite common in India. I was going to say um, like
0: because it must be like a bitch when you go to one of these places and they got the name plates, right? You can probably never find your name at like oh, Disneyland. Never. I've actually
1: right? got the little elephant that said they didn't have your name and it little sad. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Which reminds me <laughs> that Simpsons episode when it's like Bard, bored, bird, Who's bored? It's like bored. <laughs> we're out of bored nameplates, plates. Bored. Uh, <laughs>
1: so but the good thing is. Australian National University, ANU, is the same as my name. So um, I've got a got a bit of um, got my friend to go over and get me some ANU merch a few years ago. So I do have my own custom apparel in a way.
0: I I like that. That that does it's work. There's
1: got, got to be perks, you know. Very smart.
0: Be- very very smart. <laughs> in a movie about your life, who would play you?
1: Oh. Goodness, they just get harder and harder,
0: <laughs> don't they? did we just ask, like, oh. what's your favorite color or something? Is that easier? Yeah, or...
1: right? <laughs> Things I've actually thought about before. <laughs> They're my default answer. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> I literally have no idea. That Who, is so Who's like
0: cool. – like, uh, this is where I feel like you just go to just like – I mean, like, I'm going to say Brad Pitt, clearly, Chris Hemsworth, clearly. We, we all resemble each other. Um,
1: yeah, true.
0: Yeah, I mean – You can you can go whatever route you want. Or we can pass on if you don't want to.
1: Goodness. Yeah, I I'm gonna regret whatever I say. I'm gonna come up with some silly answer and I'm not gonna sleep, you know? (laughs) Things already being disturbed with the ice cream, and you know now it's gonna be. I'll give
0: an answer. I see I see a slight Reese Witherspoon. Oh yeah. I can see a bit of Reese Witherspoon there. So right.
1: yeah, I'll take that. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I like that.
0: Good on you. All right. We'll take it out. Reese Witherspoon coming soon. The new Francis story to cinemas this, this, (laughs) this summer. If you weren't an athlete, I mean, I actually might know the answer to this because obviously you touched on a little bit about what you were studying to become, but if you weren't an athlete, what would you be?
1: Yeah. So I think if I didn't get kicked out of my first degree, I'd be a vet by now, um, which was always my childhood dream. Um, I think, yeah, now, I mean, I'm studying to be, um, an exercise physiologist. um, So that's kind of, I guess that's probably kind of my answer really. But um, I always wanted to also be like an actor. Mm. Um, And uh, I was going to run away with the circus. Um, (laughs) That was a big one. I did my year 12 research project on um, essentially could I join Cirque du Soleil? (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) Wow. Well, based um, on how quickly you generally adapt and learn exactly. new things, I know I think you might be there in a few years' time.
1: Exactly. So that that's probably you know next on the cards. Um, either yeah, doing circusy things, or yeah, as a as a musician, sort of singer in one of their bands would be quite cool. So um, yeah, probably performing. I think performing is probably the the thing I haven't done much of since I left school, but it's um still a huge passion of mine and something that yeah, if if you could say oh, you know, we. Be a, you know a full-time musician or a um you know full-time actress once you finish sport i'd be like yeah i mean
0: L- look, me. look out for you <laughs> on home and away in a few years time basically
1: marvelous marvelous top pick there
0: all right summer bay hang out with our Al. <laughs> all, the, all the things that we want your uh guilty pleasure snack is
1: oh probably so i've got two my um savory one would be cracked pepper jats oh yes best with them and i kind of just about they're healthier than chips. Um, <laughs> hopefully we'll go with that. Um they're I baked, not fried, it. apparently, yep. according to the advertising. So that's yep. good advertising there. Um and then my sweet one would be um Daryl Lee's milk chocolate block that has got um it's called Licorice All Sorts, so it's literally got black licorice in it. Nice. Mind I'm, blown.
0: I'm actually we're getting a lot of answers recently about Daryl Lee. Now, I thought Darryl Lee disappeared, but obviously it still exists.
1: No, so the shops disappeared. Yeah, um, they just couldn't afford to keep the shops going, but they now stock to the major supermarkets. I don't right. know if they—they oh, they definitely do like Woolworths, Big W. I'm not sure if they do Coles. They might. Um, yeah, they have just literally gone to that, and their business is absolutely boom.
0: Because I—I re- I mean, I'm old enough to remember the stores. I remember. Yeah, oh, was, I remember them. It was always a bit of like a treat when it was like Mum and Dad are taking you to Daryl Lee um because yep. it's a bit fancy right but um yep. no i mean it's been a long time and i all of a sudden we're getting a surge of answers on this show of daryl lee yeah so, okay
1: hey there you go it's it's good it's pretty it's pretty good like this block you just wouldn't expect it i mean obviously like you know like the you know chocolate bullets sort of they mm-hmm. work but you just wouldn't have thought of just having a whole block of it but i me magical. hungry
0: making me hungry. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, very no, sorry. No, it's, it's nearly dinner time of recording this, so it's it's fine. Once <laughs> I eat, stop it's 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 time to eat. Uh, the Going most car. Yeah. <laughs> the most recent TV show that you binge-watched is
1: Oh. Okay, so when I was in England, I was absolutely obsessed cuz their TV is amazing. <laughs> um so I I was watching Gogglebox. Ah yeah. Regular Gogglebox but also Celebrity Gogglebox, and I think I watched there was something like 15 seasons of the regular one and like maybe five or six seasons of the celebrity night there was a lot of it but in three months it kind of just became my comfort (laughs) of watching um and i think i got through the vast majority of it which was quite impressive as well as watching um RuPaul's drag race Uh, um ironically i watched like the down under one Mm -hmm. while um but i also love watching like the uk one as well so they're probably my, yeah, they're probably my my, my my latest ones. So
0: we're getting that audition out there for Channel 10 if they're listening for you to be on Aussie Gogglebox then, basically. Um,
1: oh, it would be, my best friend and I, it would be quality content. There you go. It's a, it's a
0: shame it's on a Channel 9 show because that would be perfect in lead-up to the Olympics, right? Like kind of getting Olympians and Paralympians on the show to watch stuff. But, I mean, if right. Channel 10 want to eke into the marketing ahead of both the Olympics and Paralympics. That's
1: it. That's it.
0: You know, Could we, we sit there with Cherry on the couch next. Would Cherry be watching with?
1: Perfect, hundred percent, hundred percent. there would be, there would be great commentary coming from, um, from Cherry. I reckon
0: he's talkative. He's just a bit shy yeah, at the moment. I,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got, got to get comfortable.
0: Your, your favorite place in the world to compete is.
1: Oh, great question. Um, what if I like so much? I reckon. Like I'd have to kind of be a bit lame and say, like my favorite race is Silver Sands back in in Adelaide. Um, it was my first ever triathlon. Um, and I've done it every year since. It's the one race that I've actually um it's normally the only South Australian race that I get to do now that I'm um on the international circuit. Um so I'm gonna, yeah, try and do that again, again next year. But it's just it's just the most Picturesque, you know, right along the esplanade. the The run is um is on sand, which isn't super fast, but it's so it's just stunning. And I think just having that, you know, being able to have all of my teammates around me, um, and you know, having my coach there and everything is just it's so special. Um, but then internationally, I actually love, I love Wales, like Swansea. Um, this year obviously it wasn't as great because the weather was um. A bit shite um and we didn't get to do the, do the bike course and they had to change the bike course to be on concrete it was very kind of convoluted whereas before it was a very big out and back loop which was quite fun because you get up some good some good speed which is my forte um but apparently they had to change the course the rumor was that um we blocked off a prison exit um and the prison buses couldn't get in and out for the duration <laughs> of the travel so that was the reason that they told us they had hang to change hang, the- hang
0: on i need to stop you there i just <laughs> Sorry, there's so many questions around that. Like, what, are there, is there an emergency? Like, I mean, what, a, a triathlon takes, what, like a couple of hours out of the day? Like, I mean, do they maximum security prisons be transferred? Can't they just block them off for in a couple of hours?
1: I mean, they're in prison. They're not going anywhere. You would have thought so. To be fair, I think it would have been blocked off for a while because it's quite late. But where in are the- they going? They're prisoners. They- <laughs> yeah, look, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's not like they're it going down to been- the shops. <laughs> yeah, no, maybe they're going to miss their lawn bowls or something. I'm not. I'm not sure. Maybe they, you know, they just don't get in the, the way. A lame everything.
0: excuse. Wales, lame.
1: Lame. That is what we said. It was probably that they just didn't want to pay to close the road or something. But if it was anything, a
0: hospital or a police
1: yeah, station, but a prison. Fighting, <laughs> a prison. Wow. That was, that was the excuse we got given, and now the course is. Not good. Um, and so, um, but what I liked about it last year was just, obviously it was my first race. It was quite special. I had my aunt there who I hadn't seen since I was 10. So like almost 20 years I hadn't seen her. And um, and she came and watched me race, which was so special. Um, this year, my best friend and my aunt came again and my best friend actually came along, um, who's obviously from Adelaide. Um, and so that was, that was magical. Um, and just the support of the, um, the locals was incredible. Like they, they just really lined the streets and, um, a bunch of just, you know, spectators, um, took videos of me and, um, photos and sent them to me, found me on Instagram, sent them to me and, um, said, Oh, I love watching your race. And, you know, here's this. And, um, it was just, it was just amazing. The, the, like the Welsh people, are the friendliest people I've ever met. I love their accent. It's always been my favorite accent. Um, But just, they're just so friendly. I just, I love it. So I think, just in terms of like, it's probably my favorite place I've gone. And I think it just kind of spreads into the fact that the race is, um, yeah, also just a really nice, nice vibe if you're really supported.
0: Fantastic. Love it. Just need to fix their prison entries, apparently. That's, uh,
1: yeah, the idea. And their weather, because last year they had a massive heat wave. And then this year it was gale force winds and torrential downpour. So, yeah, interesting.
0: Wales is not a place that I often would think about the word heat wave, but.
1: No, it was genuinely warm. Very warm.
0: Okay. Yeah. Learning a lot. Learning a lot today. Growing (laughs) up, who was your favorite sports team? Ooh. I was gonna ask that, like as the Adelaide, you know, there's usually one of two teams. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, again, if you follow AFL or not, but it's kind that's of that's
1: the thing. Like, I'm I'm not I'm not huge on AFL. Like, if I had to pick one, I'd I'd go the Crows. And now that the AFLW is a big thing, like I'm a hundred percent.
0: Crows are the the queens of the AFLW, of course.
1: Hundred percent. I'm very into it. The only time I've ever gone and voluntarily um, watched um, really any group, I I don't really watch like like I just don't really watch teen sports. To be fair. Um, so the only time I've actually gone and watched a team sport was the, um, the, I think it was, like the, was when we had the AFLW grand final in Adelaide. Um, and yeah, went and, went and watched that. And that was, was that like
0: the, the, the fifty thousand one the big, cause if, we don't talk about that because they beat Carlton and they're my team. So we just, you know, we, <laughs> we move on from that one, but, uh, Pretty much. I'm glad you All were remember, there to experience it.
1: I remember I went. Primarily because G Flip was performing there. Okay. Um, and so that that got me there. And then I actually enjoyed watching it way more than I ever Positive. expected. And now I would actually go and watch a I would actually go and watch their, their match. Went to a G Flip um, concert
0: and an AFLW game broke out.
1: Marvelous. Exactly. Just it was a bonus essentially. Um and it was ten dollar tickets to the grand final Bargain. with G Flip. Yeah. Bizarre. And there were not anywhere near as many people as there should have been. Um, But that was really the start of it. And I think I'm like, I'm so stoked now because you look at it and, you know, they, they sell out, they should be at bigger stadiums because they they sell them all. I think it's, we've come a long way. That was only a few years ago and man, we've come we've come a long way.
0: Well, we're seeing that with so many, obviously female sports. I mean, what, what have we just seen with the women's world cup of course in in Australia and and everything that we saw, but uh, no AFLW going great. Uh, But as, yeah. as a Carlton fan, not so great, but that's just the story of my life. It's 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 fine. Uh your favorite. like
1: too late to jump ship, you know.
0: I'm too loyal. I know, like I just it's 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 a, you can't do that. That's like you know, sorry. Forbidden. That's, forbidden. that's like I mean, that's like if your mum said to you tomorrow, like, no, you're not my daughter anymore. Like, look, you know, I hope she hasn't said that. Like, that's a, you know, but like just if,
1: if she if she gets a better offer though, you know, true. well,
0: true. Cherry's cherry i mean you know
1: that's awesome. exactly exactly i you know i'd have to up my game and you know try and you know you got you got to earn your spot in life you really do.
0: you you've very, very much true uh your favorite video game is
1: Oh, i'm like not a video game person but if you can count as video games i loved sims when oh, 100% I was growing up. um Great was not, video game i was not like obsessed obsessed like a lot of people i was the classic i'd get the hand me down expansion <laughs> um
0: <laughs> i'm still a, i'm still a sims one guy like i know that i'd like probably sims 20 oh, by now yeah. but like I think, sims one is just still to me little think, tiny like, stick figures great
1: so good see i think i was two i kind of i think i bought right. the one and then got given the two quite early on so i it's quite with that. Just, you know, Sims Pets was always. Yeah, I was going to say there was Pets
0: Expansion for that one, wasn't there?
1: Yeah. But I was just the classic, you know, people that would spend. I remember I'd go to one of my friend's houses and she was all, she wanted to be an architect. So she would like build the amazing house. And I was like, this is so boring. Just let me lock them in a pool without a ladder. <laughs> let me set fire to their house. Like,
0: <laughs> like we all were, actually... <laughs> let's be honest. It was always freaking Mortimer Goth, the, the weird neighbor that would always pop over. And you're like, piss off Mortimer, get in the pool, Pull take away. away the ladder.
1: Oh, so yeah, that's the thing. And I would just I would just have no doors on the house side, but no visitors, you know. Yeah. That was a bit it's, of a weird
0: crowd. but we all did <laughs> it. It's it's like it's like Grand Theft Auto, right? Like the, you have those moments oh. where you're like, I'm gonna obey the road rules and I'm gonna pull up at a red light and I'm not lengthy within five minutes, like, ah, that's good, I'm running down people, I'm breaking cars, I'm doing oh, whatever.
1: I've only played it once, but it was I was exactly that person. I just remember absolutely just like wetting myself laughing. I was just breaking all the rules and it was so fun. That, as, a, m- people. as a big Where
0: GTA, I, that's my biggest thing as a big GTA fan is when you get people to play it who have never played it and it's always that reaction <laughs> of like literally like, oh my God, I'm running over people. Ah, this is hilarious. <laughs> like, it's, just, it's that level of like, yep, this is the game. This is this is what you do. So, if that
1: helps you then function normally in society and not do that on the roads, then
0: that's, that's- that the, You're 100% it? Like, if you've got that urge to remove swimming pool ladders and murder people, do it on a video game.
1: Exactly. So that you've got it out your system, you can go and, you know. Compete at the Paralympics. Exactly. Marvellous.
0: Exactly. That's exactly what, that's what we need more in the world. That's all I'm saying. Last question for you today, Anu. What's one thing you cannot live without?
1: Oh. Finishing on an easy one. (laughs) Always. Always, I feel like oh, I'd be very torn between sports that's like physical activity because I I go absolutely insane um if I can't exercise um for my you know my, my routine and my um my endorphins and my dopamine hit <laughs> um but then the other one would be animals.
0: Uh, Def- do you have any not- pets?
1: I've got two rabbits. Rabbits, um, okay. Rabbits,
0: love it. They're, um,
1: They're pretty big. So I've got Timothy and Pansy. They're five to six kilos. Wow. Um, They're bigger than your average cat. Um, And they live, they used to live inside in the house, just free range. They'd go out in the garden in the day. Um, but they decided that they wanted to move outside. And so they now live outside. Um, they've got burrows. We've built them an amazing um, undercover shelter area out of um, an old table and some hay bales. And um, they live the absolute life. They are so spoiled. Can you include
0: them <laughs> in your drawing with you and Cherry?
1: All right. Yeah, done.
0: Okay. I, I If you need notes, I'm happy to send you notes. But like that's amazing because like I had rabbits as a kid and we had like an outdoor sort of, environment for them and they were huge and i i don't think i realized that rabbits grew that big
1: yeah i had yeah. like the
0: white one with like the the, the red eyes like you know kind That's, of the... yeah
1: Tim, timothy's an, al- an albino he's a um new zealand giant right. um and then pansy is a um flemish giant they can get huge like i think they can get up to like 16 to 20 kilos wow. um yeah like they are the size of almost a, a large Yeah, like more than a medium dog. Um, they are huge. Um, but she is a cross, so we're not sure what she's crossed with. But obviously something a bit a dog. Yeah, probably (laughs) a horse, a small small horse. You know,
0: (laughs) that's crazy. How how long do like rabbits live for? Like, what's the life expectancy of a rabbit?
1: A lot longer than people expect. Um, the bigger they are, the longer they genuinely, gen, gen, generally today, um, the longer they generally live. Um, I think that some of them can be like Timothy's breed is sort of like average ten to twelve years. Wow. For a giant. Okay. Um, and then the smaller breeds, I think, are more sort of like six to eight years, more like eight. That's still um, decent
0: innings, though. Like I kind really of, I thought they were like a rat where they only last like a couple of years, but no. Okay. So,
1: yes, yeah, I had I had rats before before them, and yeah, that was two to three years and heartbreaking. I was like, I can't do that again. You get so attached to them and then that it's not around long enough. But, um, yeah, no, rabbits are pretty similar commitment to um, a dog or a cat, really.
0: Crazy. I like that. I like the diversity of the – more rabbits out there, I say.
1: Oh, I think so. They don't bark like –
0: True. They don't –
1: They're vegan. They're so good for the planet. They do your weeding for you. People talk about
0: bees being good for the environment, you know.
1: Get yourself a rabbit, you know. Yeah. Just
0: don't let them out in the them. wild. I mean, there's a bit of a don't problem in the yeah, don't, Australian don't. animals there. Keep them in don't a cage. The one time you can say, keep an animal in a cage, and it's good. Right? In your
1: backyard cage, I reckon, you know, in, in your house. So you're like, like an indoor cat, you know. Yeah,
0: exactly. I exactly. I know this has been a lot of fun. For people who want to follow your journey between now and, and Paris and beyond, social media, where can people check out everything that you're going to be up to between now and, and the Paralympics?
1: Absolutely. So my most active platform will be, um, on Instagram. My handle is, um, anu double underscore Francis. Um, and I'm also about to launch my, um, website. Um, so I'll, yeah, stay tuned on the Instagram and I'll um, put a link up to that once, once it's launched.
0: Beautiful. I love it. We'll, uh, we'll be sure to tag you and everything along the way. But this has been an absolute blast. I, I, I'm, I'm seriously thrilled about this drawing. Don't get me wrong. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be watching out for it every second of <laughs> every single day. But we are, we're going to be so excited to see that journey between now and, and, and Paris and everything that will come with that. And we obviously wish you the best of luck. And we'll, we'll get you back on the show with a nice shiny gold medal around your neck. How does that sound?
1: That sounds amazing. And we'll, we'll have to... Um yeah take a photo of cherry um wearing wearing this medal
0: hey with the I, with the eiffel tower like
1: 100 if, percent. if he's got you know he's gonna have to go to the gym in the meantime though just to be able to you know, get that sort of neck strength to be able to hold it up yeah um,
0: true and
1: be um not that i'm doubting him but you know um bit of recovery to do i think
0: yeah he's got a um, bit of a flop doesn't he
1: be so. in, oh yeah that's the thing that's that's gonna be no good yeah. um but that's okay you've got nine months so um that's mm. that's time enough <laughs>
0: And a massive, massive thanks to Anu there. Just an incredible chat. So incredible. Outside of obviously the cherry stuff. Of course, we all love that. But just so inspiring to hear about all the adversity that she's overcome to get where she is right now. And to essentially be world number three in a sport where three years ago, one third of the sport she wasn't even able to do. She couldn't swim. And here she is right now on the cusp of a Paralympic appearance and a genuine threat of a medal. It's absolutely incredible just what she has achieved in such a short amount of time so we're obviously going to be keeping a very close eye on everything that she does in the lead up to paris and wishing her the very best of luck going into those paris paralympics a little bit later this year so a massive thanks to anu for joining us here on the podcast to learn a little bit more about her amazing career and everything else in between we've got so much great stuff coming your way here we keep saying it every single week and off the podium but it's an olympic year so we've got so many exciting things to come down your speakers in a couple of weeks we're going back to 1972 though we're doing our opening ceremony review series and we're going to be reviewing the munich 1972 opening ceremony this is the oldest opening ceremony that we can find online to watch so this is almost like doing the first one in some very weird way because I really doubt there is any form of footage that exists of the 1896 Athens opening ceremony. So this is the one where we will be doing it and very, very excited to be able to do that. And of course, outside of that, interviews, other episodes, you name it, we have got it. If you want to see the video version of our chat with Anu new Francis, you of course can go to our YouTube channel. And while you're on our YouTube channel, see our other interviews that we've got available there. And while you're on YouTube, why not go to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok? We're all on all of them. Find us on there, search her off the podium. And while you're also on there, just making you very busy while you're on the internet apparently, you can of course subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from and you will never be able to miss one of these episodes. As always, remember to go for the Birmingham Bulls. Hey, hello to Jason Momoa. Took the words right out of my mouth. Put a sock in it, Mountain. And the most important part, remember to go left. And we'll speak to you next time on Off The Podium.